Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. thinking about this before we took offering, but I forgot to say anything about it. I was talking the other night with uh, the Masons not long after they got back from vacation. And my wife had uh, shared a story uh, from Brother Carpenter's church, actually. And there was a, a gentleman that was in their church that he wanted to make a certain amount of money. And so he started paying tithes off the amount of money that he wanted to make rather than what he made. And it wasn't just but a short, pardon me, huh? like within a month or something. Within a short time, he was making that amount of money. Just throwing that out there. Amen. As a word of encouragement anybody amen you can't outgive God he's mindful of each and everything that we do for that matter those things that we refrain from doing amen Acts chapter 16 we're going to start with verse number one I'm asking church family please help me pray just a little less than two weeks from now will be our general ministry conference and I'll be standing in front of a few thousand people to deliver the word of the Lord on a Tuesday night. And the gravity of that is this. When we're here, I'm speaking to individuals and homes. Whenever you go at General Ministry Conference, I'm not just influencing families per se, but I'm influencing churches, congregations all across the United States and missionaries abroad. And so uh, please pray for your pastor that the Lord would have the right words in my mouth at the right time to be able to be of some help, amen, to other people that serve in similar capacities as I do all across, amen, our world. And I'm saying that sincerely. I'm saying that sincerely. I desire, amen, the prayers of this people. God would lead and guide and direct. Amen. Acts 16, verse number 1. The Bible states these words. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. We've heard of these two places before. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, otherwise known to us as Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek and as they went through the cities they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily I have a few things here of interest tonight number one 
we have a young man that Paul's inviting on his team. Seems kind of peculiar because he just had one man not be a part of all the team. And then there's this idea of circumcision. We just spent a whole chapter about this concept of circumcision. So the title for my lesson tonight, stealing from the old Shakespeare Hamlet play, is To Be or Not To Be. I mean, does Paul want somebody on his team or does he not? Are you supposed to be circumcised or not? You know what I mean? To be or not to be, that is the question. Amen. So we're going to look at that a little bit tonight. I'm going to try to get halfway through this chapter before the night's over. Amen. Father, I love you. So this is a little peculiar here to be opening up chapter number 16 here with what seems to be almost a little bit contrasting with what we had just spent several weeks in chapter 15 uh, talking about at least a couple of the things in particular. Because whenever we finished talking last week, we talked about how Paul did not desire to take John Mark with them on their missionary journey, the second missionary journey. And now we're just a few verses into chapter 16, and he's inviting, he's inviting another young man to accompany him and Silas on their missionary journey. So what's going on with this? Not only that, much of the last chapter we focused on the fact that was argued and discussed in Jerusalem that a Christian did not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul and Barnabas had been involved in that discussion. And in agreement with that statement, they agreed that a person did not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. They had seen several Gentiles in their works that they did here and there receive the Holy Ghost and be saved without being circumcised. And yet, we read in the opening verses of chapter 16 that this young man that Paul's inviting to go with him on the missionary trip, he says that he's going to take him and circumcise him. Circumcise Timothy, the Bible says, he's doing it because of the Jews. And so just at a, a surface glance of the opening of this chapter, we're thinking, what's going on? You know, we've spent a lot of time looking at these things, and so what's all really taking place here? Well, again, Paul and Silas now are the team that's together. Barnabas has went with John Mark, or rather John Mark with Barnabas. And Paul and Silas go back to some of the same towns that Paul had been before, of Derby and Lystra. Amen. And he goes to some of these towns. If you'll remember, these towns are the very ones that whenever Paul and Barnabas had went before, they thought to begin with that they were gods only very quickly 
to recant that and with some urging of other people were persuaded that maybe they should just take their lives and that's where it's in that region that Paul was taken outside the city and even left presumably uh, for dead. And so it's in this region that Paul and Silas now are again and it's in this vicinity that Paul comes across who is at this time a young man by the name of Timotheus or Timothy, which the Bible says he is a certain disciple, Timotheus or Timotheus. And I'll probably refer to him as Timothy. It's not every day we call him Timotheus. All right. But Timothy. And there are, though, I would agree that there are probably a couple reasons, two main reasons why Paul would have invited this young man on the missionary journey whenever he had not wanted John Mark on the missionary journey. There are a couple reasons why Paul may have wanted Timothy alone. Number one was, is that Timothy is regarded here in the scripture, at least referred to as a disciple. I'll touch on that just here in a little bit. That's number one. Number two, Timothy, according to the scriptures that I read to you in opening tonight, Timothy had a good report among his local church. He had a good report among his local church. We go back to this aspect of why Paul may have wanted Timothy to go along for the reason of him being a disciple is because of this. And I want to define disciple for you uh, the way it's defined in the Greek language. According to, vine, to vines, a disciple is a learner. It denotes one who follows one's teaching of all who manifest that they are his disciples by abiding in his speaking of God's word. It's not simply a pupil or a learner, but an adherent. Those spoken of as imitators of their teacher. Many times when we define disciple, we go to the extent, well, that's that's a learner or that's a pupil. But it really goes further than just being a learner or a pupil. It's a learner and a pupil that puts into practice what they have learned. So that, that, that's different. Uh, that, that, that's greatly different in my estimation. Uh, Timothy here in Scripture then is not just a learner, a gleaner of information. He's not just a pupil, but he is a disciple, meaning that he is one that is abiding by and adhering to the word of his teacher. Amen. And the word that Paul or anybody else of the church was teaching was the word of God. So he was a practicer, an adherent of the word of God. Timothy practiced what he learned. Timothy followed through with what he was taught. Because here is, here is the very basic concept and idea, and that is this. Every disciple may be a learner, but not every learner is a disciple. Okay? Every, every, every disciple is a learner. That's part and parcel of who and what they are. But not every disciple is a, not every disciple is a, what did I say? <laughs> Amen. Pardon me? Not every learner is a disciple. Let me get it straight. Meaning that you can learn something and never put it into practice. You can hear something and never put it into practice. But that was not the case with Timothy. What he heard, he put into practice as well. Amen. So that's important. That's important for Paul. 
Because that knows, that, that, that comes to the realization that the words that he speaks concerning the word of God and what they're going to do, that he's going to, he's going to keep at the task, he's going to follow through. See, the problem with John Mark, he said he wouldn't go to the work. You know, we had opportunities, things, but he, wouldn't, he just wouldn't do. He wouldn't do. He said, but we have Timothy here who is a learner, amen, and more importantly, a disciple. He is a doer as well. So that's important. Secondly, why he may have chose uh, Timothy to be a part of their team of this missionary journey is that, again, it was well reported by the brethren, the Bible says, of Lystra and of Iconium that, that he was well reported of. Timothy had a good reputation, if I might say, among his local church or local churches. And that goes a long distance. That goes a long way to have a good reputation among your local church. Probably the, more than likely the church that he come to know God in, was educated in and, and reared in. To have a good reputation there goes a long way if you're going to be able to keep a reputation beyond there. Amen. Beyond there. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse 14, as a matter of fact, Paul, when he's later writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And we, we, this presbyter term we have fun with today, you know, it's an office so on and so forth. But the presbytery in that day was nothing more but the elders of the church. And so Paul, at this point in time, he was telling Timothy, remember the time that the elders laid their hands on you. And this could be very well be alluding to Timothy leaving his local church and going on this journey with Paul and Silas on the missionary journey, they laid their hands upon him, gave him their blessing, as it were, and also just hands of prayer over him for him to do what he was about ready to do. And so, Timothy, we need to remember that. You have, you have good reputation among the churches. Even the elders are willing to lay their hand on you uh, for the gift that has been given unto you. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that Timothy's mother was a Jewish, a Jewess who believed so she was a Jew who was also a Christian. She was a Christian Jew. And according to other places in the scriptures, Timothy had a very rich heritage. He had a rich heritage that came down through him through the women in his life, from his grandmother and also from his mother of his unfeigned, which basically means without hypocrisy, with, with unfeigned faith. That began with his grandmother. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, he says, when I call to remembrance, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which first, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So he has, he has, a, rich, he has a rich heritage uh, from his mother and his grandmother, and it seems to be through a line of, of Jews, a rich heritage with that. But not only that, not only did his mother and his grandmother rich in the faith, but it speaks about they instilled in that boy also the holy scriptures of the word of God. They were part of Timothy's training, part of his upbringing, according to 2 Timothy 3.15. Again, Paul writing to Timothy, and that from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, all these things stack up very well, reasons for why that, that Paul may have wanted Timothy along on this missionary journey. Amen. He's spoken well of, of his local church. The elders have laid their hands upon him for the gift that God had given him. He had good instruction from his grandmother and his mother concerning the faith 
concerning the scriptures. So he's leaving home quite well equipped, not ill equipped, quite well equipped, amen, to, to be a missionary along with Paul and Silas. Amen. And it's quite possible, we don't know this for sure, but it's quite possible that Lois and, and Eunice, his mother and grandmother, may have very well been one to the Lord during Paul's first missionary trip through that direction and through that way. When he first made a path, if you will, in Lystra and, and Derby, they may have been uh, one to the Lord in that first trip. But here is, here is the other side of Timothy. His mama is a Jew, but his daddy was a Greek. His daddy was a Greek. His daddy was a Gentile, but his mom was a Jew. As a matter of fact, whenever the Bible says in verse number three or verse number two, one, well, let's get it three, two, one, blast off. Verse number one actually says, but his father was a Greek. The word was, and this don't mean nothing to you, but in the Greek, that's in the imperfect tense, which means this. It may suggest that his daddy was already dead which may indicate why there was such a great influence of his mother and grandmother in his life. But it doesn't subtract from the idea that Timothy is half Jew and half Gentile. He may be the son of a, of a, of a widowed woman here, but half Jew, half Gentile, regardless, his mother and his grandmother brought some Jewish influence into this boy's life. So it appears that Timothy may be a perfect traveling companion here on the missionary journey because... Here it is, man, we have the best of both worlds right here wrapped up in Timothy. He's part Jew. He's part Gentile. Got part Jew, part Gentile background. He might be very instrumental in ministering to the Jewish side and also the Gentile side. He could work either or. Be accepted, if you will, by either or. But we just got one hang-up on dear brother Timothy. And that one hang-up is this. He had all the Jewish teaching he'd received from the synagogue, from his grandmother and from his mother, but he did not have the Jewish sign, which was circumcision. For the Jew, the Jews, that was their sign, circumcision, being a Jew. And so Paul addresses the fact then that Timothy should be circumcised. Now, since people want to raise the red flag and say, Paul, what in the, you're contradicting everything you just taught about you know, in the last chapter, everything that you fought for, everything you spoke of, even the book of Galatians, you, all of this stuff. What in the world is going on? But verse 3 tells us that all the Jews in those quarters knew that his father was a Greek. They knew that Timothy was a Greek. Amen. But the only sure sign for any Jew to really know that he was a Jew, if they didn't know his background, would be to know that he had the sign of physical circumcision upon his body. So what follows in the scripture, Paul circumcising him, is circumcising Timothy for the sake of being able to minister effectively to the Jews, and it's not for the case of salvation. Paul didn't circumcise Timothy so that Timothy would be saved. Timothy was saved without circumcision. Paul circumcised Timothy so that when they went to these various areas and there were Jews, if he had the mark of circumcision upon his body, then his ministry could be well, easily effective among them by just holding to their Jewish traditions and traits. So Timothy wasn't being circumcised to become a Christian. He was being, he was being circumcised according to Paul, that he might effectively minister among the Jews and be respected as a Jew. 
Let me bring that to something that maybe you can put your hands around and understand. I lean on my days of evangelism for this one, and that is this. During our travels, I did not wear a wedding band. Didn't wear a wedding band because there were churches and places we went to that preached against wearing wedding bands. Did not believe that was acceptable. They preached against wearing wedding bands. And so as a result of that, I did not in any of our travels, I didn't put it on a night or nothing. I never wore a wedding band in our travels because for the sake of ministering to these churches where they deemed that it, it, it wasn't proper to wear a wedding band. Some of these places considered it just as any other piece of jewelry. Okay. We teach here that this serves a purpose. It makes a statement that you have a, a spouse, you're married, you're wedded to someone. This is not just there just for flattery or anything like that. It serves a purpose. But nevertheless, since though they had those beliefs, I didn't wear one. Why? Because I did not want to hinder the ministry of the word to those people. If And, and, and there's some places I wouldn't even be allowed to minister if I had it on. They, they wouldn't let me in their pulpit. But other places, I didn't want that to serve a hindrance while I'm trying to preach salvation. We miss out on the effectiveness over something like that. You know how easy it was just to take that off? It was easy for me. My wife, now she still wore hers. If we, I'd always ask places before we went. I'd always ask. I'd say, or I'd say always. I'd try to always ask. Always ask these places, pastors. Said, do you have any platform standard? Or such that I might need to be aware of or to abide by. Some people didn't like pointed ties. Some people didn't like colored shirts. Some people didn't like you to wear short sleeve shirts, period, whatsoever. Some people didn't like you to take off your suit jacket. Some people didn't like uh, patterned skirts, animal prints. So you ask, those, you ask those questions so whenever you go, you can be like Timothy was whenever he was about ready to go. Abide. Not for the purpose of it being salvation or not salvation, but so you can be effective in ministering to the people you're going to talk to. Now, I could be bull-spirited and say, well, bless God, I'm going to wear that thing. Well, you know what? You just missed out on an opportunity of minister to lost people. It wasn't about my salvation. It was about being effective in ministry. Being effective in ministry. And so we did. We did these things here and there, you know, in order to be effective in the ministry uh, to several different people. Amen. Uh, Paul bears this out again later in the book of Corinthians. This concept and idea that he even served with Timothy. First Corinthians 9 and verse 19 starting. The Bible says, Paul speaking, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain. The more look at this phrase in verse 20. This is a little phrase right here unto the Jews. I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. You know what he's saying? I, I, I tried to I tried to abide by their customs so that I could minister to them. He said me, me abiding by that was a means to the end to try to minister to them. He said, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without law as without law. Now, note in parentheses, his parenthetical phrase here, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. In other words, he's not talking about uh, in order to gain the sinners, he sinned. Okay, 
Paul's wanting to make it, and I want to make that distinction here, lest anybody walk away here and misunderstand. Brother McGee says in order for us to win sinners, we're going to have to go out and sin with them. You misunderstood, Pastor McGee. You misunderstood the Apostle Paul. Amen. And anyway, he said that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save. Here it is some. And look at the purpose behind it. Verse 23 tells us the purpose. And this I do. He doesn't say for salvation. He says, and this I do for the gospel's sake. The perpetuating, the teaching, the ministry for the gospel's sake. That I might be partaker thereof with you. So he's doing it for the gospel's sake. And folks, that's what I did. That's what we did. We did it for the gospel's sake. My wife, bless her heart, I love her. My wife wore the same black skirt during a two-week revival. Every night, because early on we learned that animal print, leopard print, zebra print, types of patterns like that in that particular church and area were looked upon as being related to prostitution and that type of lifestyle. And so she was asked in the early part of that, she wore one the first night. And, she, and, and we, we didn't know it. I mean, that was, from, that was a total new one for us. And so she wore the same black skirt. I kid you not. For two weeks of revival. Well, that's ridiculous. I just became a Jew so that I might gain some. You know what? We had a good two-week revival. We were asked back to come back to preach. Yeah. Brother, Brother Gregory Howard, if someone got saved out of that and she had to wear that for two weeks, she would wear it for another two weeks to get another one saved. Yeah. Absolutely. So did it for the gospel's sake. That's the difference here. That's the difference here. Doing it for the gospel's sake. And, and, and just to point out that this was the idea, that one was for the sake of the gospel, while at other times others quibbled about it for the purpose of salvation. The difference can be seen in the book of Galatians, Galatians 2 and 3, because Paul, Paul did not compel Titus, who was a Greek or a Gentile, he did not compel him to be circumcised in the book of Galatians while others in the church were saying, come on, Titus, you need to be circumcised because they were trying to get Titus to be circumcised to go along with being a means of salvation. Paul said, Titus, you don't have to do that. And that's what he's saying right here in Galatians 2, 3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He had people that were of the church, quote, unquote, saying, Titus, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul says, don't worry about it, Titus. You don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's two, two different things here. Paul's saying no here because he's a full-blown Greek. And there's no reason for him to be circumcised for salvation. You don't have to be circumcised for salvation. But with Timothy, it wasn't a mode of salvation he was talking about. He was half Jew anyway. It was for the purpose of going about on these missionary trips and being able to minister to other Jews that he was doing that. Amen. Because Galatians 6.15 tells us, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So we're not, we're not talking about salvation, but we're talking about sometimes in order to minister to people, what you do is you find what level they're on. Here's the most basic thing it can be. You talk about people that are unsafe sinners. How, how do you become then like them in order to win them? Sometimes you just need to find what their hobbies and what they're interested in. Strike up something that you might find some similarity that they do and you do. That's no sin. 
And you know what? You can win people like that. Having something in common. That's just the very, the most simple that I can say to you tonight concerning that matter. But as Paul and Silas and Timothy, as they then begin to travel place to place, the scripture tells us in verse 4 that they, they even recited these decrees for, for the people to keep. Remember, the Gentiles, you're not supposed to eat things with blood or strangle or keep from fornication, all that idols. They related those things to the churches they went to again because it, re, it was all about their worship system. But he didn't go through talking about, well, you know, circum, no, 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 circumcision, it's off the table. Amen. It has nothing to do with your salvation. And so as a result, though, of all of this, as a result of them restating those decrees, as a result of Timothy being of the manner that he was and subjected himself to circumcision for the purpose of the ministry, we see the results then. The Bible says these places that they went, the churches were established in the faith and they increased in number daily. Now, I think that's something to be applied. Thank you, Timothy, for being willing to become all things to all men so that some might be saved. Verse number six. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. That's peculiar. And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia, came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. I tell you what's so comforting just about those verses of Scripture right there. Here's what's comforting about that and helpful. It lets me know that the will of God at times is something that you're feeling after. Paul, they were in a position, they were going to go to Asia, but you know what? The Holy Ghost said, no. Okay. Well, how about over here to Bithynia? Spirit said, no, suffer you not. No. There is nothing wrong being in a place where it feels like you're in a state where you're trying to fill out what the will of God is. And Paul, so Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're all in that place right here. I mean, they're, they're going, to, and the Spirit says, nah, no. But it finally, it finally came to them. They, they finally got some definitive direction. Amen. Some definitive direction. And just as a side note, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit's no is just as important as its yeses. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, well, Many times we want to just put all the stock and lean the scale to one direction. Well, the Spirit said, yes, hallelujah, yeah. Well, we need to put just as much stock whenever the Spirit says no. Amen. Because they are both very valid and important. Because understand the importance of the no of the Spirit brought Paul and them to the yes of the Spirit. Amen. And so, and amen's my non-influence word. If anybody ever been in speech class, you have non-influencies, that's mine. Amen. Okay. One of these days it might die, I don't know. But nevertheless, verse number six, look, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Verse number seven, they essayed or they, had, they tested or they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Amen. See, there it is. 
suffered them not. And I've remarked about this before, but I believe it's important to repeat. No, when spirit may say no now, but no doesn't necessarily mean forever no. Because that's born in the scripture. Asia, no, not now, Paul. Bithynia, no, not now, Paul. But when we read later in the book of Acts chapter number 19, the Bible talks about all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. As a matter of fact, when we read what is Revelation 2 and 3, all those, all those letters written to the seven churches of where? Asia. And so the no was the no for not right now, but not necessarily a no that was an eternal no, no forever. And so in the process of these no's, it brought Paul to a yes. In a night vision, the Bible says, he's seen a man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And in the very next verse, it says, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Immediately we had gone to, word for word, the scriptures, word for word, they say, assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Amen. Now, here, along the way, God didn't say, hey, go to Europe or go to England or for sure didn't say go to America. It wasn't even yet discovered yet, but uh, go here or go there. All that Paul had was a vision, a man of Macedonia saying, help us. A man saying, help us. He never received a call from God saying, Paul, go to Macedonia. All he had was a man crying out in the vision, help us. But I wanted to underscore this one fact, that that cry for help might term it a need. That cry for help, the need was the call for Paul. And the call is what Paul needed, if that makes sense. He turned his face and went in the direction of that call. Now, notice the man is from Macedonia. He's calling. He's calling. So Paul is going to go to the place. All right. Paul and his companions, they are going to go to the place. But the Bible says they were assured in so many words that though they were being called to a place that God had some people in the place that needed to hear the gospel. So this may apply or not apply to anybody in here, but if God, whenever God calls a man to a place, it's best that the man search out the people in the place. Amen, because he could have some people there that need to be ministered to the gospel. Now look at verses number 11 through 16. Amen, here this evening. Therefore, this is their little journey here. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a, straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. We spake to the women and resorted thither. I'll just stop right there. Look what, look what happens right, right, right next here. Paul has a vision of what? A man crying, come help us. Here, this is just kind of those little by the way things. The reality, the reality of the vision might not always match your view of the vision. 
Paul in his vision saw a man saying, come help us. But the first encounter that he's about ready to have here, the first convert that he's about ready to have here in Macedonia, not a man. It's a woman, a Gentile God-fearing woman from Thyatira of all places. Amen. And so if Paul is following the pattern that normally was followed, you know, you go to wherever the synagogue is first, the Jewish synagogue, and you find people there that at least believe in the Lord, whether they be Jew, and you might have a few Gentiles spattered in there. And uh, you'll go and you'll, you'll see who's there and you're able to minister the word of the Lord. But seemingly in chapter 16, Paul's not coming up with a synagogue. He's on the Sabbath day and he goes out. He's heard word. People's told him out here by Riverside out there. People go out there and they have uh, normally some prayer that's taking place out there on the Sabbath day out by the Riverside. Here, here's the thing. In order for there to be a synagogue in a city, this is just information, but in order for there to be a synagogue in the city, there had to be at least 10 men in order to warrant a synagogue. 10 Jewish men in order to warrant a synagogue. And so we're looking at the condition here in Philippi. They didn't even have necessarily enough men to warrant a synagogue. Here within the city of Philippi, all right, this just chief city of Macedonia, but what they do have is a group of women that's praying down by the riverside. Now, these ladies may have been a mixed group. I don't know. We do know Thyatira. She, she is a Gentile. May have been a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles. So they might not have had a synagogue. They might not have had a church building, but they had a place of prayer. Not only that, their prayer place, this is, this is I think, important. So if you want to tuck something in your mind tonight that might be important, their prayer place and time was regular enough that others could direct the Apostle Paul where to be at what time in order to have the encounter with these women. Someone say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. What that does for me is that in modern-day society today, <laughs> it's hard enough to pinpoint a believer at a time and place when there's a church or synagogue involved, let alone when there isn't. But they didn't even have a church house. But since they had a prayer place and it was regularly attended at a certain time, people could direct the man of God to where to go, to where they're at. I guess what I'm getting at is this, and this is rhetorical. You don't have to answer, but perhaps in your mind. Could someone find you based upon the location and regularity of your prayer life? That's how they were found. Their prayer place at a prayer time. Could we be found based upon the regularity and location of our prayer life? Something to ponder. And it's a bunch of women. That is not a snide comment. Let me tell you, because women has led a lot of paths in the church. Sad to say, this is just a, just a kind of side note. But Paul's seen a Macedonian man maybe... The Lord knew that it was going to take a woman to lead him to a man. A woman that was on fire in a prayer meeting somewhere that didn't have to have a church building. Amen. And when we consider that this was a woman, that goes a long distance because women in the world of, of, of Gentiles, not Jewish women, but women in the world of Gentiles, Greek women, Roman women, whatever you want to call pagan women, for the most part. 
they were looked on, if you've heard me say this before, they're looked on as slaves. They're looked on almost as, as property. And no woman, mark my words, no woman uh, had the right to exchange her religion for another one apart from her husband. What that means is this. If there was a husband, a husband and a wife, husband and Gentile wife, and they served the pagan gods, if she went and started serving the God of Israel, that wasn't acceptable in their culture and day. She wasn't allowed to do that. She's a slave to her husband. She's property to her husband. And so for this Lydia to be doing this, whether she was married or unmarried, or these women, you know, was absolutely unheard of because men so dominated women that if they did anything unruly or off kelter, it was terrible, terrible defamation, if you will, to the husband and his, his rule and reign in society, you know, the man. Amen. And so here's Lydia, a woman, though. She's a God-worshiping woman. The Bible tells us in verse 14, she's a seller of purple, which classifies her as the elite in society, a more wealthy lady in society. She's already a Gentile God-fearer, but she's interested in Christianity. She's interested in what the Apostle Paul has to say. And interestingly enough, the Bible tells us, you can look at those verses 14 on down to 16, God has already opened Lydia's heart, all right? He's already opened Lydia's heart. And so she is receptive to what the apostle is saying. And, and let me tell you this. Our preaching and our witnessing goes a long distance when God's already opened the heart of the individual. That's the reason why it is valid and important to ask for direction. God set up a divine intersection today for me with somebody. Because whenever you pray those prayers, by and large, he's probably going to set you up with someone in whose hearts he's already strumming. All right? Amen. Open their heart already. Amen. And so maybe this is one reason why God directed Paul and the group here. This is the reason why you can't go to Asia. This is the reason why you can't go to Bithynia. Because I got a lady in Philippi who's from Thyatira, but I've already been dealing with her heart. And so they have this divine intersection here. And the Bible tells us that Lydia heard us, he says in verse number 14. Lydia heard them. Her heart was open to it. It says that she attended to the things that were spoken. In the very next verse, it says that she was even obedient to what she heard because we see her being baptized. This is great. And for that matter, this type of pattern of hearing and learning and obeying is not something just to be left to whenever we receive salvation or at the moment of our salvation. And I think I barely made a reference to this in the past couple of services one time uh, the other night. But this is a pattern of hearing, learning, and obeying that should be followed through with our post-salvation experience. After we've already been born again of the water and the spirit as well. Because Moses spoke to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance. Uh, Moses is just remembering and recalling things that have already taken place and happened by and large throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And so when you come to Deuteronomy chapter number 5, he's recalling where the Ten Commandments were given back in Exodus chapter 20. And so as he's recalling all this, look what he says in verse number 1. Deuteronomy 5 and 1. And Moses called all Israel. All right? All Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. Jerusalem Bible that I'm reading out of this year boils these terms down to this and that process down to this. Listen 
Learn and observe. <laughs> That's good practice when we come to know the Lord and after we've known the Lord. That is to hear what is being preached and taught, learn what's being preached and taught, keep what's being preached and taught, do what's being taught and taught. Because particularly the doing, see, that takes you from a learner just going from there to a disciple. So her actions, though, look, her actions, what Lydia did here, her actions, her follow-through, her doing, her keeping, all this stuff, we look at it in the scripture, and the Bible says in verse 15, and when she was baptized her and her household, she besought us. Her, her choices, her decisions, her allowing her life to be persuaded by the Spirit and obeying the Spirit influenced her household. We do not need to underestimate one changed life within a family. Because that can have a domino effect upon others that's within that same household. Whenever you, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7 or 2 Corinthians. It's 7, whether it's 1 or 2 Corinthians. And this should bring comfort to anybody that's here that's a spouse with a spouse that's not in church. Talks about how the believing spouse, the unbelieving can be sanctified by the believing spouse by their manner, the believings, by their manner of conversation. That's not talking about talk. Conversation there in the New Testament means lifestyle. That the unbelieving can be sanctified or set apart by the lifestyle of the believing spouse. What that means is this. If that believing person can just keep their walk with the Lord, keep faithful to God, that can have influence on the rest of their household. It even talks about the children being sanctified or set apart because of that one believing spouse. That's the power that a person that is born again of the water and spirit can have influence on their household. Amen. I'm not talking about whether husband, man, or wife. I'm not talking about being a nag. That's God, you need to come to church. That's God, you need. I'm not talking about being a nag. I'm talking about live your life. Live your life in such a way that is honorable to God and it can have influence. It can. I'm not saying it's a dead ringer. I'm just saying it can. Your, 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 your odds are better. It can have influence upon those of your household. And then the Bible says that she opened her home to Paul and to this group. She's showing, man, she's showing hospitality. Man, she's showing hospitality. Bring them into your home. You know, come on in here. If, if, if I'm deemed as a, as a person that's been born again in your sight, then go on, come in my house and let's have fellowship with one another. And as a matter of fact, she opened up her house to the degree that when you read in the last verse of this chapter, the last verse of this chapter, this is after Paul and Silas has been in jail and they've been released from jail. Look, they are going back after they get out of prison and they're entering to the house of Lydia to visit the brethren before they depart. It's quite possible. It's quite, whenever, and we, we've been talking about Philippi, the chief city of, of Macedonia, and this is something you need to do through Acts. You come across Philippi, go read the book of Philippians, because whenever Paul wrote a letter to Philippians, it's the church at Philippi. 
So see, all this stuff pieces together. Amen. In the Bible, uh, words that we already read in the previous chapters, Acts chapter 15, whenever they were doing missionary journeys through places of Galatia, read the book of Galatians. You'll see how it's correlating with the things that were spoken of in Acts 15. Amen. You'll see later Thessalonica, Thessalonians, you know, all those things come back, those epistles that were written to the churches that were founded. Well, you go back, man, it's quite possible that Lydia had opened her house. There was no synagogue. Her, Her house may have become the first church of Philippi. Amen. This woman had opened up her home and opened up her life. The Lord very well could have just been that first house of worship for the people. Amen. Just two little technical things, and I'll close here this evening. Verse number 10 of Acts 16. The scripture says this, Paul, and after he had seen, that's speaking of Paul, after he had seen the vision immediately, we, the way in which this is being written is different. We endeavored to go to Macedonia. Now, I'm only going to say we if the person that was writing is the one that was a part of the trip. See, Luke has written all of this, but now he's joined the party again. He's joined the group. So we have Paul and Silas and Timothy. And now we have Luke as well. He says, Paul's seen the vision, but we, so that's just, that's just, a, just a technical thing. Luke has joined the trip again. And the only other thing, the second thing I already mentioned, you need to look back at these places like Philippi. Go read Philippians, uh, Corinthians, and Rome. Go back and read those, uh, the, these different epistles, amen, that's mentioned in the book of Acts. So to be or not to be, to sum it up, is like this. Paul wanted to take Timothy because Timothy had already been proven. Been proven by some brethren, had the hands of the authority of men upon him. He had been proven, so he, he's not feeling bad about it. He's a disciple. He's a doer. Where John Mark didn't want to go to the work, Timothy, he's a disciple. He's not just a learner, but he's a doer, so I'll take him. And then the circumcision thing, again, it wasn't a circumcision unto salvation. It was a circumcision for the effectiveness of the ministry to the Jews. He said, we're doing this for the purpose of being effective in ministering to the Jews. That's the only reason. This is not to deem now. now now you're saved, Timothy. No, 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 that's wrong. Just doing it for the purpose of being effective ministers unto the Jews. Becoming a Jew so he could minister to the Jew and perhaps save some. If you'll stand with me here tonight. Next week we'll endeavor to finish up chapter number 16. Next week after we finish up chapter number 16... You're going to have a month off of Acts because I'll be gone for two Wednesdays. One general ministry conference and another since we have family down there and we haven't been there in a year. Us down there ourselves, we're going to stay around. And then there's going to be the children's revival thing, VBS thing with the Borlicks. And then after that, we should have had something called stories at the end of the month. But since I'm going to be gone, I'm going to do that. I'm going to insert that there. And that gives you all four weeks to read the rest of the book of Acts. <laughs> Gives you four weeks off. So maybe a little breather for you. Amen. Will be well in those months. So or in those weeks. So we'll have a month off and then we'll get back. We'll get back to it and then have some interruptions like camp meetings so on and so forth. But it, I don't count that as an interruption. Amen. But all will be well. Let's close with prayer here tonight. Father, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.